You know, we're in, uh, we're going to continue our study through the uh, book of First Chronicles. And um, this evening, uh, we not only see, or we've come to understand from last week that the ark of God had come into Jerusalem, but not only has the ark of God come into Jerusalem, but now it's uh, set up in the tent that David had pitched for it to be housed in. We'll see a lot of praise, just a, a, an extravagant display of God's love, or at least toward him. He's already demonstrated it toward the children of Israel. And now uh, David and, and, and all the Israelites have this opportunity to display their love in response to God's faithfulness. And um, so as... Um, as Rachel had begun and had uh, encouraged us to participate in worship, there is absolutely no way that we could respond to God's love in a perfect way that would reflect um, His love perfectly. Um, we just can't attain to that, right? But we should do everything we can. We should live our very lives in response to that. Uh, in, in trying to, as Rachel said, reach out to the Lord in such a way that we are striving for that which we know to be true. Our hope, our certainty, our forgiveness, the grace that God has extended to us, His mercy, His compassion, His faithfulness, His patience, and we can go on and on and on. And so we should be living these, these lives completely consecrated to the Lord. And, and we're going to see a lot of that this evening as we go through this chapter. Uh, we, we'll see, as I said, offerings offered, worship offered um, in song and in sacrifice, uh, a remembrance of God's covenant, God's faithfulness, God's praise, and thanksgiving toward Him. And so let's pray and we'll get into this chapter. Heavenly Father, we want to once again, commit this evening into your hands, Lord, asking for your blessing, that your spirit would move, Lord, not only in us, Lord, here, physically, Lord, but for anyone who's listening and watching online, Father, I pray that you would anoint us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and give us understanding. Teach us all things that pertain to you, and uh, help us, Lord, also, Lord, as, as we desire, Lord, to bless you. Help us, Lord, to understand these things that we are uh, coming to know. Uh, and in that understanding, know how to apply them to bless you, to bring you glory. Because your word tells us that we demonstrate our love for you by the, the manner in which we obey you. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, and they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. So, as we begin this evening and take a look at the, those first few verses, we understand very clearly that this was a time of celebration for Israel. 
uh, as we had learned previously, it had been 70 years since the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, and it was just three months earlier that they attempted to bring it into Jerusalem. And we know what happened. They were, uh, they were carrying it in the wrong manner. Um, they weren't doing it as it was prescribed by the law. And so we know that Uzzah had reached out. He had touched the Ark, and God's anger, his wrath turned on him. He was struck dead, and David decided to leave the ark of God at the house of Obed-Edom. Now, three months later, they had brought the ark of God into Jerusalem, and they had brought it into the tent that David had pitched for it. Now, we need to understand the ark of God is, is very important in the life of Israel, you see, it's the very center of God's presence. He promised to meet them there at the ark of God. Just above the mercy seat, between the cherubim, he said he would meet them. His glory was present. It's the place of worship and fellowship. And it has entered, more importantly, he has entered and been placed in the center of Israel. The ark was finally in the right place. I can't help but think symbolically how sometimes we could have the Lord in a place that really he shouldn't be in our lives. Not central, but in a different place. Perhaps he's, he's off to the side. He's, he's not where he should be placed in our lives. But you know, the moment that he takes center stage, the moment that he's in the very central part of our lives, we know, we know that we are right with him and that he has his rightful place in our lives. But the ark for Israel was in its right place. It was central to the worship of the people of God. And the first thing that David did was offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Burnt offerings refer to sacrifices of consecration. They are whole offerings, not partial offerings. The whole sacrifice is consumed on the altar. To consecrate is to solemnly or sincerely or genuinely dedicate, devote, be set aside, wholly, completely to the consummation or the complete sacrifice unto the Lord. Of course, this speaks of us, for we are living sacrifices. We are to be burnt offerings to the Lord. We are to offer ourselves completely to Him, that He may be the one to whom we offer ourselves genuinely, completely, and sincerely. That is actually a complete sacrifice. Nothing's left on the altar. It's all consumed. Nothing is taken off. It is completely offered to the Lord. As we should be, nothing offered anyone else, to nothing else, and nowhere else. I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I have to be mindful of 
where I am? Have I removed myself from the altar? Have I placed myself in a, in, in a, in a different place as far as my position with the Lord? You know, because we are living sacrifices, we can jump off the altar. I'm sure you've heard that before, and we do that so easily. Um, you know, Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so, as David had made these burnt offerings to the Lord, these are offerings of sacrifice that are to be consumed entirely. And so we should be also to the Lord. Secondly, David offered a peace offering. Not just burnt offerings, but peace offerings. The burnt offering has to come before the peace offering always. For without complete consecration, there is no peace with God. The peace offering speaks of fellowship. And we know that in Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have a better offering. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 it says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son. Who has been made perfect forever. He is our perfect and better offering. Known through the unblemished, the, the unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, they offered not only a burnt offering, but also a peace offering. And once the offerings were completed, then David blessed the people and served all the people. So he blessed the people, but at the same time, he distributed. All of the, as we uh, read here, each received a loaf of bread, each received a portion of meat, and each person received a cake of raisins. And so, again, it was a time of celebration, the restoring of God's presence within Israel, and therefore having peace with Him. This is recognized as a time of communing with God, of enjoying fellowship with Him, breaking bread at His table and with Him. You know, when we have peace with the Lord, when we have been, well, when we've expressed our own humility toward the Lord, we are perhaps aware of any something that we ought to confess to the Lord and repent I, over and over and over again. Especially, I remember going back to the time when I had turned my back on the Lord. I was that prodigal son. And I remember the moment when I surrendered everything to the Lord. I asked the Lord for forgiveness. And I knew that I had that peace with him at that very moment. I was no longer in contention with him. I wasn't opposed to him. And I simply surrendered my life to him. And it was in, at that very moment that I was reminded of that peace that I once enjoyed when I first came to the Lord. It's a time of celebration. Of not looking back but looking forward, having hope in the Lord, knowing that I had been forgiven of all of my sins. And so for the people 
of God, the Israelites, this was a time of restoring God's presence within Israel and therefore enjoying this peace with Him. And it was a time of celebration. It was a time of communion with God and enjoying fellowship with Him. You could say in a very real sense, this time of communion was breaking bread at His table and with Him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Well, the Apostle John, he knew this fellowship, this communion with the Lord. And it was their desire that others also would know that fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the fellow brethren. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's no longer necessary a, a repeated offering of sacrifice for our sins. For in one sacrifice, we knew, we, knew, we knew the forgiveness of our sins for all time. For us today as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we have access to God and His fellowship that we may draw near to Him by the blood of Christ, be encouraged to do so, knowing that we have access to Him, the forgiveness of our sins. We know that. And by His grace, we know a union with Him secured through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it was a time of celebration as, as we see David and Israel bring the ark of God into Jerusalem and into the tent that David had pitched for it. Verse 4, as we continue, says, Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. And so as we see here in, in verses 4 through 7 is how David established the ministry of worship before the Ark of the Lord. Uh, this was obviously, as we read here, regarded as important. It was necessary. It was appropriate. It was fitting as the Lord was acknowledged and His worth was expressed through their service unto Him. And as we also see here, this was not to be done sporadically or on occasion, but instead it was being established as something of a regular occurrence. In fact, 
it's described as having been established as something that was to take place daily. How they were to worship God is of utmost importance, and we see it here. As David appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, two, number one, invoke, secondly, to thank, and thirdly, to praise the Lord. To invoke is to acknowledge God's faithful presence by acknowledging what he has done, what he is doing, and therefore, because of his faithfulness, declaring that he will faithfully continue to do so. This, for us, is an expression of faith as we proclaim true that which he has done, knowing it is true, what he is doing, and then also what he's going to do. In so doing, these worshipers were expressing thanksgiving. They were singing his praises, pointing to his glory and his name above all. You know, in Psalm 22, 3, it says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Or yet you are holy, dwelling in the praises of Israel. In other words, God inhabits the praises of his people. This is something of great significance as, again, we were encouraged to sing praises to the Lord, to do so with a sincere and whole heart, to do it in a way that expresses a love for the Lord, knowing what he has done for us, and then expressing that gratitude toward him. Asaph was given the honor and the privilege of being appointed as chief, Basically, he was overall responsible for the ministry of worship, of, of singing, of serving the Lord in this manner. He was also to sound the cymbals, and those that came after him were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So not only was he to oversee the ministry of music, of worship to the Lord, but he was also to participate but David also wrote a psalm, as we will read in the following verses, and he assigned Asaph and his brothers to sing it. It was a song of thanksgiving to the Lord, and Asaph had, had many, many brothers, and we'll see that in a few moments. But So this psalm, by the way, is covered in, in different areas uh, of the book of Psalms. A portion of it, verses 8 through 22, or um, also read in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15, verses 23 through 33 are also seen in Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13, and then verses 34 through 36 are also seen in the opening and closing verses of Psalm 106. Um, David is a man after God's own heart. As we understand, as we read through the Psalms, we know that he wrote... Many of the Psalms, not all of them, but he wrote many of them. And we certainly see a, David's heart exposed, the Lord using him in such a powerful way. But David was referred to as a man after God's heart by the Lord. It wasn't something that was placed on him by anyone else, but it was the Lord that knew his heart. And said, this is a man after my heart. But he's also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
I don't believe he could have been the sweet psalmist of Israel if he didn't have a heart after God. A psalm, by the way, is, um, is a sacred song written and sung for the praise and worship of God. This is, uh, you know, something that, again, we should express in, in our time of worship, whether it be right before service, at the close of service, um, throughout the day. These are some of the, 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 the very words uh, of praise that we should be singing unto the Lord throughout the day, that we should really keep first, foremost, preeminent in who we are, the worship of God. And so we see this sacred song, this psalm being written out by King David and then assigning this song to Asaph to be sung. Let's read this psalm. Verse 8, as we continue, says, O give thanks to the Lord, Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, Children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And it continues, but we're going to stop there for just a moment. I was thinking in regards to the times in which they lived. Sometimes we, we uh, look at perhaps this moment. And, uh, and we we've maybe don't consider the fact that they had their own troubles. They had their own issues. And I couldn't help but think that in the midst of the world in which we live in today, it would do us all good to consider what we have before us. This, this psalm, this sacred song, this song of praise unto the Lord. We should ask the question, is it true? Is it worthy, worthy to meditate on? Is it worthy to consider to be mindful of these things. Is God worthy of our thanksgiving? Even when we're going through difficult times. Perhaps maybe even especially when we're going through difficult times. Because what we're reading here. And, and the beginning of this psalm. Is an overwhelming expression of thanksgiving. It is, you could say, oozing with excitement. It's filled with an, an excitement in the worship of and the praise of God and who He is. We go backwards from verse 13, which says, O offspring of Israel, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. We acknowledge and understand that we are, we, right, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, are grafted into God's family. His chosen people. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That in and of itself is, is enough. To sing his praises. To be thankful toward him. To be grateful of his grace. Therefore, it is fitting that we remember his wondrous works that he has done. 
his miracles, and his judgments. Oh, we can consider the things that he has done with Israel. But what has he done with you? What, you, what has he done with us? He has delivered us from eternally being condemned to hell, separation from God, to etern- from eternal punishment to the hope of heaven, being forgiven of our sins. In and of itself, we see this beautiful miracle, this work that he has done. He has indeed judged our sin, but he has done it through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, let us seek the Lord in his strength. Therefore, let us seek his presence continually. Therefore, glory in his holy name. Therefore, tell of his wondrous works. Therefore, make known his deeds among the peoples. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Because more often than not, we're all wrapped up in the things that surround us. Things we've done or not done or going to do. The events of the church even can take center stage. Or even about a sermon or doctrinal issues. The depravity of the world. Politics. Our own opinions, perspectives, and desires. And we don't just simply make known who God is. His faithfulness, His salvation, His grace, His wondrous works. Instead, we think about the depravity of the world and, again, our own perspectives and desires. And, you know, that's what He's delivered us from. And although we acknowledge those things are true, of the world, we really need to focus on the glory of God and how wonderful He is. It puts everything into proper perspective. It helps us uh, to communicate to others the desire for them to know that very same relationship with Jesus Christ, salvation through Him and Him alone. What we should talk more about is how mighty and awesome God is, what He's already done, what He's doing now, and what He's going to do. We ought to rejoice more, give thanks more, sing His praises more, and glory in His name more, and simply seek His presence more. Listen, we can grow tired of the things of life that really we ourselves are are prone to focus on. We, we, we are concerned about so many things and, and yet we miss. We miss the opportunity to simply rejoice in the Lord more, give thanks to Him, sing His praises, glory in His name, and just desire His presence to just have fellowship with Him, to rest in Him. Remember, He is the Lord our God. We should talk more about the wondrous works of God and less about the world and how it falls short of the glory of God. We already know that. 
we have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that we have known salvation through Jesus Christ. Perhaps we should consider ourselves in light of God's holiness. That would cause us to express a humility toward God. Be contrite before him and respond to him instead of the state of the world ourselves and even others. No one and no thing compares to our God, period. And then the, the psalm continues in verse 14. It says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember His covenant forever, the word that He com- commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, he, His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob, as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. The Lord, He is our God. But He is also Lord over all the earth. You see, He's sovereign. He is God Almighty. And He will not be overcome. The Lord has authority over all, therefore remember His covenant. Remember that He is faithful, even when we are faithless. His promises are yes and amen, right? God's promises, His covenant is good. The new covenant we know, we have come to know, he made through Jesus Christ his shed blood, and we are beneficiaries, of course, of that covenant. And we will know the fullness of that when we are in his presence. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We, um, we know God's grace. We know salvation through the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. His promises are yes and Amen. But what is pointed out here is a covenant that was made with Abraham, sworn promise to Isaac and confirmed to Jacob as a statute. Israel. And it would be known by subsequent generations. You know, Israel came back to their land in 1948, correct? Amazing. God is is faithful, and he, He has brought His people back to the land that He had promised them. The land that He had promised, and He had spoken to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And his people are even enjoying his faithfulness today. 
But even when they were few, as we read in Numbers, as it says in verse 18, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Verse 19 says, when you were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Even when they were few in numbers, God was faithful to protect them from the other nations, even, even as we've learned, they had been outside of the promised land. Scattered throughout the world, he was faithful to them. God did not permit anyone to touch them and allowed no one to oppress them permanently. Because Israel belongs to the Lord and just as they were delivered from Egypt, they were delivered from Babylon and they were delivered, they were brought back to very, the very land that they were given by the Lord. You see, again, this is even more praise given to the Lord. Acknowledging that there is no one that compares to Him. No one that compares to His power. No one that has, no one that has authority over Him. He is not overwhelmed. And He is faithful. To bring about his promises. He is faithful. He was faithful then. He is faithful today. And he will be faithful for all eternity. Verse 23, as we continue, says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the, the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sounds like a song. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Our Lord. Yeah. Declare His glory. I think the one thing that we need to understand with this is how his praises need to be central to who we are. Declaring his glory. Declaring his marvelous works. Declaring his splendor. His majesty. His strength. His holiness. His reign, His authority. Rejoice, praise, 
worship. Tell of his salvation from day to day. In Isaiah chapter 44, this is, um, <clears throat> this is in uh, regards to the fact that great is the Lord, he, he is great. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens, and he's the creator of the universe. And so in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 9, it says, All who fashioned idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. And he goes on to say, The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with the pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or... He chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree, oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the, fast, he eats, over the half, he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? The blindness of idolatry. The blindness of allowing ourselves to be deceived and not being discerning. In Psalm 135, Verse 15, it says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. But then he goes on to say in verse 19, O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. 
the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The Lord was present. The worship of God was central to the people of God in Israel. And so he should be to us. As they ascribed to God glory and strength, it was to give him due credit for what truly belongs to him. We don't give anything to God. They didn't give anything to God that he perhaps is in need of anything. But what we do is we simply acknowledge, as they did, so we do today. We simply acknowledge and agree and praise him, knowing that he is good. He is almighty and he is to be praised. And then as a response, we come before him with an offering and an act of worship. Uh, that offering for, for us is ourselves. It's um, in our entirety. It's, it's us as we offer ourselves to the Lord and give him our very service in response to the love again that he has first demonstrated to us. He goes on to lay out the, the worship that creation also offers to the Lord. For he is the creator. Its detail, its beauty, its power, its majesty is all a testimony of its creator. In and of itself, it praises God. The details of creation. Genesis 1 once says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Creator of the universe. We see our God, and He is worthy to be praised. And even if we consider creation, um, the details of a uh, of a plant, of a leaf, and how it functions, and how it uses the sun and the air, and pulls from it, um, pulls in what we exhale, right? The carbon dioxide, and it's just—it's amazing the details of not only plants but uh, but animals, and and then above all, us being made in the image of God. Truly, he is worthy to be praised. And it says that in verse 33, and then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Refers to a prophecy, a messianic prophecy referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's seen in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. You see, God is Lord over all creation, of course, materially, but also morally. He will judge the earth. He is, he is love. He has, he has uh, offered himself a sacrifice for our sins. He has judged our sin, but he will also judge the earth. And so it points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, with all of this said, 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then verse 35 says, Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Amen. Right? As the Lord is faithful to save his people, so God's people give thanks and glory in his praise. It's a response. Amen is simply stating an agreement. That's why it's important for us to, uh, when, when we pray, when we say something that we agree with in, in the time of fellowship, you know, for us as the body of Christ, as the local church, um, what it means to say amen is, I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement with what you just said, what you just prayed. I concur. I also confess what it is that you just stated, what you just prayed. And says all the people, after this had all been brought forth and sung, they all said, Amen. And then what's, what, what's it say after that? And they praise the Lord. You see the psalm and the singing of God's praise was for all the people of God. Not just for those who were assigned to lead. But they all agreed with these words. It says they all together praise the Lord. You see, worship is, should never be a performance. It's like when you, when you clap. It's not because, you know, Rachel or Ray or anyone else. God, you are so wonderful. That was amazing, right? Now listen, they're using their gifts to worship the Lord. To sing his praises. They are not the ones that are to receive the applause. No one who, who sings or worships the Lord. But we all together, with one voice, we are participating in the worship of God. If true, if agreed upon by the congregation, then we all sing because we're all simply confessing this praise of God in unity with one heart toward Him. Um, people from the outside, from the world may come in and they see the, the, the church singing. Why, why is the church singing? Why aren't they just listening? Kind of like, you know, maybe in a coffee shop or some concert, but even in concerts, everyone sings, right? If they know the, the songs. But why does the whole church sing? Why is it? Because we're agreeing with the words. We're, we're singing God's praises. We're not, we're not singing to anyone up here. We're singing to the Lord. We sing to an audience of one. We are praising God with one voice and one spirit to our God and Savior. 
You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It's all for and unto him, the Lord. He is worthy of our praises. And so all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. So they participated in what we just read this, this sacred song unto the Lord. They were singing his praises. And then in verse 37, as we conclude this chapter, it says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark as each day required. And also Obed-Edom and his 68 brothers, while Obed-Edom, the son of Jeduthun and Hosea, uh, were to be gatekeepers. And he left Zadok, the priest, and his brothers, the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar, a burnt offering regularly morning uh, and evening, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. With them were Heman and Jeduthun and the rest of those chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Heman and Jeduthun had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. The sons of Jeduthun were appointed to the, to the gate. Then all the people departed each to his house and David went home to bless his household. So as we read the conclusion, and this is... Um, Basically, um, of uh, an overall, basically a postscript of what we just read. The establishing of regular worship of God, it was, it was all in order. He set everyone in place. And it was to be done along with this worship of God, this singing unto the Lord, the the playing of the instruments was all along with the offering of the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the offerings of thanksgiving. And they were to sing his praises. It was all for God's glory and all for his worship. In obedience to him and ascribing to him his due praise. And when all was said and done, when all had been established... Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David went home to bless his household. Uh, one of the things that I want to bring up to conclude this evening is, if you notice, I don't know if you notice, but through the psalm, there is much to learn about God's faithfulness throughout the history of Israel. You could say that you could, it was a, even through the psalm, even through the song, you were singing things, they were singing things that were true of the things that God had faithfully followed through with for his people. You think about worship and praise and how it can and should be a way to declare and teach of God's truth, his promises, his very word, his prophecies. Uh, worship song should be full of this. Acknowledging what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. We sing his praises. I, I think so often 
Um, I think today's worship songs uh, acknowledge the person much more than what they should. It, it should be more directed to and more in regards to just simply God and his, his wondrous works. His glory, his holiness, his worth, his faithfulness, his promises, his very word. Because he, he and he alone is faithful and he is worthy to be praised. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. Father, as we consider the love that you have demonstrated toward us, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts up. Lord, that we would have a song to sing. That we would be mindful of how faithful you are. Lord, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, being thankful of the forgiveness that we have come to know through him. I pray, Lord, that we would think of your glory, your holiness. Lord, how just beautiful you are. Let us always sing and worship and praise two and four, an audience of one, blessing you and bringing you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. And thank you, Lord, that we have access to you and that we can have communion with you, Lord, having fellowship with you. And help us, Lord, to speak of your grace, Lord, your salvation to others, that they may also have fellowship with you in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And therefore, Lord, have fellowship with us together as brethren in Christ, having the hope of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.